I'm only 29 years old, but I really feel like this has been the most political time in my life. And it just feels like we can't avoid it. Uh, that people are so deeply invested in it that it has further divided us from one another, which is why I love the church, because we all don't agree. We represent uh, politically the, the left and the right and the middle, the far left and the far right, and the deep middle. But the way people are talking to each other, the way people are refusing to listen to one another, welled up within me a desire and a need and a feeling that God wanted me to preach something else. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and their goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On Thursday, our President Donald Trump signed an executive order titled Promoting Free Speech and Religious Liberty. And this brought to fruition one of his many campaign promises that he would give, and I quote, our churches their voices back, unquote. The order was designed to dismantle this thing called the Johnson Amendment. The Johnson Amendment bans tax-exempt organizations like churches from endorsing political candidates and activities, or they run the risk of losing their tax-exempt status. And to be clear, fully repealing the Johnson Amendment would require congressional action, but nevertheless, uh, we're certainly taking steps in that direction. And what it means is basically that churches and other tax-exempt organizations are now on a path that could lead to a time where preachers like me could stand in a pulpit like this and tell you how to vote according to the Lord. It means that we, as a church, can take all the money from our tithes and offerings and we could donate it to specific political campaigns or individuals, if we believe that they match our religious convictions. And we can do all of this without fear or retribution from our federal government. In other words, freedom. And on Thursday, the very same day the executive order regarding religious liberty was signed, the House of Representatives voted to approve legislation to repeal and replace major parts of the Affordable Care Act which is another one of President Trump's campaign promises. It still faces an uphill battle in the Senate, but people who represent us in the House voted to approve it. And as I already said, in the wake of those two things, to the executive order and to the vote, people have been going ballistic. Regarding the health care bill, Some people are thrilled that it would eliminate tax penalties for people who go without health insurance. And on the other side, some are terrified that it would roll back the expansions of Medicaid, which covers millions of low-income Americans, 40% of which are children. In other words, freedom. So here we are, 
just days after the executive order, just days after the House vote. And I can't help but imagine how many pastors are standing up in places like this one this morning with a newfound sense of freedom to speak either for or against what our government is doing. I can already imagine what a lot of the posts on Facebook and on Twitter are going to look like this afternoon from either side of the political spectrum. In the early days of the church, the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And during this very same time, awe or fear came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And this is spectacular. And what makes it incredibly spectacular is that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And what's even crazier is that all who believed were together and had all things in common and that they would sell their own possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Who in the world signs up for something like that? Come join our group. We'd love to have you. Once you start participating, all you have to do is sell everything you got so we can take care of everybody else. We here at the church believe in recognizing the inherent blessing of God in our lives, and we don't believe in personal property. So join us on Sundays at 11 o'clock. But don't forget to sell your stuff. Friends, that sounds a whole lot more like communism than capitalism. And where in the world is the freedom in that? So here's my point. Religious figures on both the right and the left have come out in droves regarding what our government has done as of recent, as is their right. But inherent in their declaration is perhaps one of our gravest sins, idolatry. Today, we worship our government the way we used to worship the Lord. We follow the never-ending political news cycle like we used to check in on our brothers and sisters in faith. We read and we repost articles about votes in the House and the Senate and about executive orders like we once shared the story of Jesus the Christ. And I'm guilty of this too. Hence the great number of sermons as of recent that have revolved around our current political climate. This story that Eric read for us sounds so weird and bizarre because we are so far removed from it. Instead of this idyllic community from the first century, we've been co-opted by the assumption that our government is supposed to be the church. Or at least, it's supposed to act like the church. And therefore, we support political candidates who agree with our personal opinions and beliefs regarding issues like abortion rather than attempt to be present for women who wrestle with an unplanned child. We spend far more time talking about our government, how, how it should vet political refugees, than pooling something like our resources together to help them in the midst of their crisis. We verbally attack people in present and on the internet for being politically opposed to our position, instead of realizing that we often sit shoulder to shoulder with them in church on Sunday and that we have far more in common than we think we do. 
Christians in America have played this political game for so long that we can almost no longer tell the difference between America and God. And in Scripture, that's called idolatry. The church does not exist to serve our political aspirations. Nor does our government exist to serve the needs of the church. What we do here is not about putting together a particular partisan agenda that can be made manifest on Capitol Hill. But nevertheless, we are a politic. And we do well to remember that we are a politic and that there are many ways for the church to be political. But the way for the church to be political is not synonymous with pursuing democratically elected representatives who can represent us and our political opinions. As one of my professors from seminary recently wrote, there's only one instance of democratic voting in the Gospels, and the people chose Barabbas. Gathering with others around the body and the blood of Christ is one way for we Christians to be political, and frankly, it's the original way. Because when we sit around a table like this, when we break bread together, when we share the prayers, when we have fellowship with one another, we live and lean into a strange mystery that we call the kingdom of God. For us, this table, this bread, this cup, they represent for us a reminder, an ever-present reminder that we are not the authors of our salvation and neither is our government Here in America, we celebrate freedom, and in particular, our freedom of speech. But honestly, we're mostly only concerned with our freedom to say what we want. And the moment we hear someone speak from the other perspective, most of the time we cover our ears or we start shouting back so loud that we never listen to them in the first place. For far, far too long, we've limited our imagination of the church to being a mechanism by which we can develop strategies that can, to put it in very political terms, make America great again. But that, my friends, is not the mission of the church. The task and the mission of the church is to be a community of character that can survive as a witness to the truth. And all of this, this whole sermon, is not meant to be a critique of the political left or the political right, nor is it meant to be an endorsement of the left or the right. No, it's about our sin, our captivity to the presumption that our politics determine our lives more than the living God. And that is exactly why we still worship like the community did in Acts 2. It's why we tell the stories of Scripture. It's why we break bread with one another. It's why we say the prayers. We gather together in witness to the fact that the risen Christ is with us and moves and lives and breathes in us in this place. And in doing so, we respond to Christ by doing strange things, like freely giving of our income to bless others who are in need, like giving of our time to visit people in the hospital people who are sick and tired and alone, 
like showing up in a different community every summer with our youth to help with modest home repairs for those who are in need, like breaking bread with people we disagree with so that we can make meaningful relationships. We've come a very long way throughout the centuries as this strange community we call the church. And you can tell how far we've come or perhaps how far we've moved by how much we bristle at the idea of selling our possessions and distributing to anyone who is in need. Because that doesn't match with what the world has told us life is all about. Instead, we're captivated by a narrative that tells us to earn all we can, to save all we can, that freedom is more important than faithfulness, and that the world is ruled by politics. No. God rules the world. Faithfulness is more important than freedom, and it is far better to give all we can than earn all we can. And so we worship. We listen to the stories from the Bible We enter that strange new world and we learn what it means to speak the truth. Worship is where we begin. In worship, we develop an imagination capable of forming us into the people God is calling us to be. A people who could be like those people from Acts 2. A people who can be political, even more political than our government, by recognizing who we are and whose we are. Because as Christians... We know that Jesus is Lord. And therefore, we don't need things like executive orders to grant us the freedom to speak truth. We know that Jesus is Lord. And therefore, we believe in taking care of our brothers and our sisters, regardless of whether or not our government does. We know that Jesus is Lord. And therefore, we are not captivated by political policies geared toward keeping us safe. How can we as Christians be safe We worship a crucified God who died on a cross. Being a Christian is not about freedom. It's not about denying responsibility. It's certainly not even about being safe. Following Jesus is all about challenging the presumptions of the world with the truth that our Lord is Jesus Christ, and that will very well put us in a place of danger. Because we believe in loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves, And that is not the same thing as being a Democrat or being a Republican. We believe in serving the needs of those on the margins, those that others would ignore, which means helping people who cannot help themselves. And lastly, we believe that the greatest freedom we've ever received did not come with a declaration of independence but through a poor Jewish rabbi who was murdered by the state. As Christians, we can be political all we want. We can vote. We can march. We can lobby. We can give money. But as the church, we also believe that gathering together to do what we're doing right now is the most political thing we could ever do. So let's do it. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.